If you would open your Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 3. And as you're turning, I make a observation. You may recall this weekend, Brother David made a comment that so many of us preachers make that the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture. If you want to know what one verse of Scripture says, compare it to other Scriptures, and you'll, you'll, that's the best commentary. Yesterday, I asked Brother Wayne if he'd pick out something to read and lead us in prayer this morning. I brought that lesson this morning from Ephesians chapter 5, and as Wayne read that Romans 6, I thought, that's the best commentary there is on those verses of uh, in Ephesians chapter 5. It's a uh, you might want to go home and read those two things together today. I think that's such a, a blessing. And uh, so glad Lord laid down on Wayne's heart to read to us. It's just a real blessing. All right, I've titled the, the message this morning, Is There a Prophet to Ask? I didn't read my text to open the service. It's rather lengthy. We'll just we'll read through it as we go. But I took my title from 2 Kings 3, verse 11. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Now, I don't want to just ask anyone who calls himself a prophet about the Lord. Notice the way that Jehoshaphat um, poses this question. Is there a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And what he's asking, this is just no offhand comment, offhand question that uh, he wants to go ask the, the prophet. Um, I was flipping around the, the channels last night like I do, and I came across this fellow saying, well, the Bible can't be the Bible because the age-old thing here, people say, well, who, who did Cain marry? You know, that means he had to marry his sister. Well, that means the whole Bible is not. This, that's just an offhand question. Of course Cain married his sister. I mean, duh, of course he did. Move on. This word that, that uh, Jehoshaphat uses, inquire. I want to inquire of the prophet of the Lord. That means to seek out with care. It's a diligent search. Diligently. I want to know the Lord and to hear from God. I want to diligently seek it. This is a word that you use, that the word um, translated inquire. When you are seeking something desperately, because you must have it. You must have it. It's a matter of life and death. The same word is used twice in Deuteronomy 4, verse 29. But if from thence thou shalt seek, the same word translated inquire, just seek the Lord. The Lord thy God, you'll find him if you seek him. If you inquire, you diligently seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. I'll tell you when you'll diligently See Christ. When God shows you, you must have him. If you say from the heart, give me Christ or else I die. That's inquiring of the Lord. That's diligently seeking him. And oh, how we need to hear from God. We don't know anything about life, about righteousness, about how God saves sinners, about how, you know, we don't know anything unless we hear from God. And you know a good place to hear from God? It would be, don't you think, from one of God's preachers. That's why Jehoshaphat here says, is there a prophet of the Lord that we can inquire of? You ought to be able to inquire of God's preacher. 
He's supposed to be the man that spent a week seeking a message for you. I mean, I'm not just, you know, I'm in the study. I mean, I'm seeking God's message, but seeking the truth, seeking God's message, but I'm seeking a message for you, for you. I pray for you when I'm in study. God, give me a message for this hour for your people. I seek a message for you. You know, Elisha here, he's going to give an answer that gives us a, a picture of how you can identify God's preachers. And it's by his message. It's by his message. Now, I want to go back to the beginning of the chapter. Let's look at quickly, as quickly as I can, what led Jehoshaphat up to asking this question. Verse 1. Now, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother. For he put away the image of Baal that his father had made, Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not therefrom. Now, Jeroboam, he was one of the wicked kings of Israel. He's the son of Ahab, the son of Jezebel. You know how wicked they were. But Jeroboam, he's more dangerous than Ahab in, in, in Jezebel. I'll tell you why he's more dangerous. It's because he's deceptive. I mean, Ahab was just out there with it. Everybody knew he was an idolater, you know, worshiping uh, Baal. But Jerome, he's more dangerous because he's more deceptive. Jerome saw Baal is just a useless idol. And he got rid of all those, those, those idols in, in, the, in the land of Israel. But here's how Jerome is more dangerous than his father and mother. Jerome compromised the truth for his own gain. Jerome knew now, if the people worship, they knew that they should worship Jehovah the way that God had instructed them to do it. But there was a problem for, for Jeroboam if he did that. See, the kingdom was divided this time between Israel and Judah, the ten tribes and the two tribes. And Jeroboam knew, now he's the king of Israel. If Israel worships the Lord the way the Lord had commanded them to do in the scriptures, you know what they do? Why, they just unite with Judah. Could Judas worship in the Lord the way he's instructed him to? Well, if Israel starts worshiping the Lord the way the Lord instructed him to, why, Israel and Judah, they're just going to join together and be one again. Well, if there's one nation, you just need one king, and Jerome's going to be out. See, he'd lose his place. So here's what he did. He made gold statues and said, these be the gods that brought you up out of Egypt. These statues... These are the Lord. You don't have to go down there to Judah. To, you know, these, we'll worship these. These are, these are the Lord. This is Jehovah. And he had feast days and holy days and ceremonies. Very, very similar to what they had in, in the, the law of Moses. Very similar. Those things were given as pictures of Christ. And he didn't have Christ in it. He just had these idols in it. And he did it for his own gain, for his own purpose. That's why Jerome was more dangerous. Everybody could see what Ahab and Jezebel did. It's just open idolatry, right? But Jerome, oh, he made his religion as close to the true thing as possible. As close as, as he could. People thought, well, he uses all the right words, so he must his message must be okay. That's more dangerous, isn't it? Because somebody could, could be fooled and deceived into believing that. So that's what's going on now, verse 4. And Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep master. 
and rendered unto the king of Israel a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams with the wool. But it came to pass when Ahab was dead that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And king Jerome went out of Samaria the same time and numbered all Israel. And he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle? And he said, I'll go up. I am as thou art, and my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. Now at some time in the past, the king of Moab had agreed to pay some sort of annual tax or, or tribute to, to Ahab, but now Ahab's dead, his son's ruling in his place, and the king of Moab says, I'm not paying this anymore. He probably figured the son is not as powerful as the father, and he could get away with, with not having to pay this, this tribute. So Jerome, he's coming to attack Moab, and he gets Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, to go along with him in this battle. In verse 8. And he said, which way should we go up? And he answered, the way through the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, and they fetched a compass of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. Now not only was Jerome a wicked king, he's a bad general too. He didn't plan this military campaign at all. He just he took them on this long roundabout way where there wasn't any water. There's no water for the army. There's no water for, for the animals. They're all going to die of thirst for they have a chance to attack the enemy. He went to this place with no water and didn't bring any water with them, you know. And you know what they did? They blamed their failure on God. Look at verse 10. And the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Jerome said, Oh, God's brought us here to die. We, we were trying to do this and God just brought us here to die. He blamed their situation on the sovereignty of God. Now, you won't find anybody stronger that believes this more strongly than I do. God is sovereign in everything. I mean everything. There's not a speck of dust flies through this room. God didn't direct it. He's sovereign in everything. Everything that happens is because God willed for it to happen and purposed for it to happen just exactly the way it happened, just exactly the time that it happened. God purposed that before he created anything. God's sovereign. Everything that happens is simply God's purpose being unfolded before us. That's true. But let's not blame our failures and our sin on God's providence. You know, we do something, I do something stupid. I can't say, well, you know, it's God's fault. God willed that to happen. I think the best way to say it is this. Now, that was God's providence. No question about it. That was God's providence, but it's my fault. It's my fault. I, God purposed, and here's a good illustration of that. God purposed for Adam to fall, didn't he? That was God's purpose. He purposed that so we could have redemption in his son, so that his son would be glorified. God's not the author of evil, but God purposed for Adam to fall. That's just so. But it's Adam's fault, wasn't it? <laughs> it's Adam's fault, and he paid the price for it. I just liken that to not looking both ways before you cross the street. Now, if I don't look both ways before I cross the street and get hit by a bus, it was God's purpose and providence that I die by getting hit by a bus, but it's my fault. <laughs> I didn't look, you see what I'm saying? I don't think you have to overcomplicate that. We just can't blame God 
for our faults and our sins and in our failures. And that's what Jerome was doing. Look at Luke chapter 14. You know, a wise general, he makes, makes battle plans. Before he goes into the battle, see now, you know, can I whip the enemy? Can I, can I do this or not? That's just only wise to do. You know, I, I think about in World War II, D-Day, you know, why did they wait so long to storm Normandy, you know? They planned it for years. I mean, it took years to, to plan this thing. That's a wise general. Look what our Lord says in Luke 14, verse 27. Now, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, what he's getting ready to tell us here, you cannot be my disciple, but you count the cost. You follow me, but you count the cost. This is what he's teaching. Verse 28, for which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it, lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth, whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else while the others yet a great way off, he send an ambassage that desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jerome, he just didn't make a plan here. He didn't count the cost and, and prepare for this battle. And that's why he's, he's in such a mess. But I read all that to, to, to say this. Let's pray that the Lord give us some wisdom. Now, the Lord tells us, you come to me. You follow me. There's no life without it. There's no salvation without it. But when you come and you follow Christ, now you count the cost in doing it. You count the cost in doing it. Tell you what you're going to have to give up to follow Christ. All. You're going to have to give up all your credit. You're going to have to give up all of your glory. You're going to have to give up all of your rags of righteousness. You've got to give up all and follow him. For him to be your all. Now count the cost because it's, it's going to cost the flesh. It's going to cost the flesh your glory. It's going to, now you count that cost and then you follow Christ. Don't, don't count the cost. The Lord's not telling us here, count the cost and then don't follow me because you see the cost is too high. He's saying count the cost. Count the value of your works. Count the value of your so-called righteousness. Count the value of your glory. Compare that to Christ and then follow Christ because you see he's worthy. That, that's what he's te- te- teaching there. And, um, I might go off on a little bit of tangent there, but I was studying that this week. I saw that about the king, you know, counting the cost for, for battle, that's important for us to remember. Count the cost. Count the value of all your works and all your flesh and compare that to Christ and follow him because he's worthy. All right, back to our text, verse 11. 2 Kings chapter 3. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here's Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. Here's Elisha, he had been Elijah's servant. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. 
Now these kings, I want us to notice this, because I want to apply this situation to us. They don't inquire of the Lord until they're in a jam that they can't get out of. See, until they're in a, until they're in such a mess that they know we're going to die right here in the wilderness. If you know, if we left our own devices, I need to seek the Lord. You know, I think it would have been a good idea to inquire of the Lord before they ever left. Don't you reckon? I hope maybe we can learn that lesson and start inquiring of the Lord. See, now they're in a fix. Now they need to hear from the Lord. They're going to perish. See, they know now I need the Lord to deliver me. If he doesn't, I'm going to die. And only then do they go inquire of the Lord. Now, this is what I want for us to inquire of the Lord. I mean, diligently seeking him. Because whether we know it or not, you and I are in a fix. I mean, we're in a mess that we can't get out of. Our sin is damning us. Our sin has separated us from God and we can't come back to him. And we're going to perish if we can't stop it. And we can't. We're going to perish because we can't stop it. But I'll tell you what we can do. We can inquire of the Lord. We can seek the Lord because we're desperate to have him. We can seek the Lord with all our heart. And I tell you when we'll seek the Lord with all our heart, when the Lord shows us fixed when I can't get out of it, that if I don't have him, I'm going to perish. Isaiah said, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call on him, inquire of him, diligently seek him while he's near. The Lord's near. Now seek him, diligently inquire of him. And that's what I want us to do in every service that we have. I don't want us to just come here on Sundays and Wednesdays out of a religious habit. I don't want us to come here and just have a religious service. You know, our flesh kind of feels better about ourselves because we had a religious service. We, we said some religious things. You know, I gave up my time to go, you know, do something religious. I, I don't want that for us. I want us to come here seeking, inquiring, Seeking a word from the Lord. I want us to come here because I need to hear. I need to hear from God. I need to hear of Christ. I want all of us to come here praying, asking that Lord bless us. Lord, give us a word from, from you. You know, if we're all praying that way, we might be surprised how often the Lord answers that prayer and gives us a word from him. Just might be surprised. I want us to come here inquiring of the Lord. And I don't mind if you come inquiring of the pastor. Frank, you got a message for me this morning? Did Lord give you a message for me? Have you found a message of God? Come inquire. Can you tell me about the issues of life? I'm dead. Can you tell me how I can be made alive? Can you tell me how God saves sinners? How is it I'm, I'm guilty and, and, and vile and, and defiled in my sin? Can you tell me how I can be forgiven? Could you tell me how I can be washed white as snow? I mean, I'm in a mess. My sin has put me in a mess. And I can't get out of it. It's just like I'm in a pit with slimy walls. I can't get out. Can you tell me? Will God deliver me? I would just love for somebody to come inquire of me and say, I know, I know God saves sinners. I hear that. 
I hear what you're saying. God saves sinners. He saves sinners in Christ. Here's my question. I'm inquiring this. Will God save me? Isn't that what you want to know? Will God save me? Will he? Well, here's my answer to that question. Somebody's inquiring that this morning. Here's my question. Or here's my answer to that question. Yes, God will save you. If he gets all the glory for doing it. See, you're going to have to give up all. You're not going to share in his glory. If you give up all, you're willing to give up all because you know what you got is horse manure. It's just, it's nothing but done. God will save you if he can get all the glory in doing it. If you can't do one thing to help save yourself, if there's not one iota of any good in you and you're in desperate need for God to do all the saving for you, yes, God will save you. Yes, he will. Now that's the answer of God's preacher to any inquiring sinner. No matter what text that that, uh, the Lord brings us to, that's the answer. God will save you for his glory's sake. That's the answer. Now I'm going to give you four marks of the message of God's preacher from Elijah's answer to them. And the first one is this. God's preacher has a message for God's elect. Verse 13. And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. He knows this. There's no use going to talk to, to the prophets of Baal. They don't have an answer. <laughs> you know, that's why he's come to, to Elisha at this time. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, surely, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I wouldn't even look toward thee, nor see thee. Now, it happens to be my opinion. I think I'm, I'm, I'm right about this. Elisha has a bad attitude. In this. Now, this is just a bad... I understand it, but it, it, it's a bad attitude that I, I pray that the Lord deliver us from. Now, these men... They've been enemies a long, long time. They were enemies of, of Elisha's mentor, Elijah, and they're his enemies now. But now they're in effects. And now you want to hear from Elisha's God? Now you want to hear from Elijah's God? And Elisha tells him, the only reason I'm even speaking to you is I've got such high regard for Jehoshaphat. There's a man, a preacher one time told me, he said, I wish I could just keep all the lost out. And just only have God's sheep and just preach to God's sheep. It's just so much more pleasant to preach, you know, to the sheep, to the believers. It's just sweeter that way. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. That can't be our attitude at all. The Lord told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to the lost. How are the lost ever going to hear of Christ? If we don't go preach Christ to them, you know, we're to preach to all men everywhere. And I hope and pray it's with a good attitude. I hope and pray it's with a good attitude, especially if God would ever give us the opportunity to preach Christ to those who stood as our enemies. I hope so. I hope so. There's a man lives in a, in another town. There's a faithful pastor in that town. Good, good pastor. Excellent preacher. But this man will not go hear that pastor. He doesn't like him. He just... 
And you know, that's what people say. I mean, he doesn't like him, so he says, this man doesn't preach the gospel. But when I go there, he comes to hear me preach and just slobbers all over me. Just what a great message that is, and that's the gospel. I mean, that irritates the fire out of me. I want to tell him, now wait a minute. Why are you coming to hear me preach if you don't come hear this man preach? You know, we preach the same gospel. I, I kind of think that's, that, that's, that's kind of Elisha's attitude here. But I point all that out to, to get to, to this important point. God's pastor has a message of salvation in Christ. And I tell you who the message is for. It's for God's elect. Now, I wish all men would hear it. Many people hear the gospel. But when I tell you who believes it, many people hear the gospel. But you don't, you don't know who that message is, has a purpose of mercy and grace for? It's God's elect. All men are dead in sin. But God has a message of life for his elect. Now, we don't know who the elect are, so we preach it to everybody. But when we tell you who's going to believe it, you want me to tell you who's going to receive life from that message? It's God's elect. I try to say in every single message I preach, you come to Christ. I don't care who you are. You come to Christ right where you sit right now. You come to Christ. You cast your soul on Him. You depend on Him alone. I must say that as long as God gives me breath. I hope. I hope I will. When we tell you who's going to come? The elect. They're the ones who can be drawn with those bands of love that Brother David was talking to us about. There are folks who might inquire for a shelter in a time of storm. They have a trial, they have a difficulty. They, they might inquire for a while. But they're just looking for a shelter. They're just looking for a way out. The elect, they're going to inquire of the Lord. They're going to inquire for Christ, they're going to come seeking salvation from their sin. They're going to come seeking mercy and grace from God. And I'll tell you how they're going to find it. God's going to send them a preacher with a message that's just for them. That's how he's going to do it. All right, number two. God's preacher has a message from the Lord. From the Lord. Verse 15. But now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. Now, I find this very interesting. Elisha received a message of salvation. He received a message of deliverance. He, he received a message from the Lord for the, specifically for these three kings when he heard the music playing, the minstrel. Now, I assume that that was um, music of, of worship. You know, it wasn't Billy Joel or somebody. It was, it was music of worship. I'm just, I, may, I think I'm safe in making that assumption. And don't we find that true for ourselves? I mean, music helps prepare our hearts to worship. We, we enjoy the singing songs of, of praise and worship. And, um, our song service is not a, a, a placeholder. Our song service is meant to prepare our hearts to worship. And it appears to me that, that that's what went on here. But now the important thing is this. Don't, don't get hung up on, on this minstrel. The important thing is this. Elisha received a message from the Lord. From the Lord. Music is good, but a message from the Lord is vital. It's vital, vital. Because remember, what are we doing here? 
we're inquiring of the Lord. We're seeking the Lord. We're seeking a message from the Lord for our needy hearts. And I tell you how God gives that message to our hearts is by preaching. It's by preaching. Preaching the word. The preaching of Christ is preaching of God's message. And our message is not what men think. It's not what other men have written. Our message is not preached with psychological tricks and and emotional methods and emotional tricks to get people to do something. Our message is really not even what the sheep think they want to hear right now. Our message is from the Lord. Our message is from God's word. Thus saith the Lord. Now that's the job of God's preacher. Thus saith the Lord. Preach the word. This is the instruction to God's preach the word and make Christ plain in it. Make salvation by Christ, through Christ, and in Christ plain in every text that you preach from. Preach the word. And now what Paul told Timothy in every season, in every situation, preach the word. Paul also told Timothy this, put people in remembrance of these things. Keep preaching Christ over and over and over and over again. Keep reminding God's people it's in Christ. Look to Christ. Trust Christ. Trust his blood. Don't strive to words about no prophet. We're to strive, but we're to strive to see Christ in the scriptures. We're to strive to inquire to find Christ. Preach Christ. Just preach Christ. That message answers every need. Preaching Christ will exhort the unbeliever to come to Christ and trust Him. And preaching Christ, using that sound doctrine of the Word, that'll edify believers. That'll strengthen them and comfort them. Just preach Christ. That's God's message. This book says that the Father chose a sinful people to save because He loved them. There wasn't anything lovable about them, but God chose to love them anyway. Now that's what this book says. Preach it. Preach it. This book says Christ came and he died for those people that God chose to save and only for those people that God chose to save. And since Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, shed his blood to put away their sin, their sin is put away. They're saved and they can never be lost because who died for them? That's what this book says. Now preach that. That's good news to sinners. Preach it. This book says that the blood of Christ is the only way Sin can be put away. The blood of Christ is so effectual. His blood cleanses all of his people from all of their sin. Now preach that. Preach that message over and over and over again. No other message will draw sinners to come to Christ except the message of Christ in crucified. This book says that God the Holy Spirit takes that message of Christ, the preaching of this word. He uses this word as a seed to give spiritual life to his people, to implant in them a new nature, a second nature that cannot sin. Now, preach that message. If there's somebody there that doesn't believe it, preach it and preach it and preach it and preach it and preach it. Till either God gives them faith to believe it or they leave. But don't hold back. Because they don't like it. I'm telling you. That's God's message for his people. All right, number three. The message of God's preacher 
is supernatural. And what I mean by that is this. Our message is that salvation comes in such a mysterious way. It comes to this it, to us in such a way that the flesh cannot understand it. But it's obvious to us. The only way this could happen is if God did it. Because a mere man can't do this. It's supernatural. Something only God can do. Look at verse 17. Or verse 16. This message, the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus saith the Lord. See, there's the message. Thus saith the Lord. Make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, that you may drink both ye and your cattle and your beasts. And this, this sending of water, that's but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He'll deliver the Moabites also into your hand. And you shall smite every fenced city and every choice city, and you shall fell every good tree and stop up all the wells of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. Now you would never think that a dry valley is going to be filled with water just by digging ditches in it, would you? If, if there's no, here, the, the, the skies are clear. Now, if there's no wind blowing in rain clouds, how's it going to, how's it going to rain? How, where's this water coming from if there's no wind blowing in rain clouds? How, it's just impossible for those ditches to be filled with water if there's no wind and no rain. It can only happen supernaturally. Only God can fill those ditches with water without clouds of rain. Only God could. It's supernatural. And that's the way salvation comes to a sinner. It's supernatural. It's outside the realm of the flesh. You and I would never think that a sinner could have their sin debt put away by the death of another. But that's what happened. We would never think that a sinner could be made righteous, even though all they can do still yet is sin, that they could be made righteous by the obedience of another. That the Lord would make them righteous even though they never did one righteous thing in their life. We'd never think that. But that's what happened. You'd never think that a dead sinner could be given spiritual life even though the flesh is still dead. <laughs> I mean, you just would never in your wildest imagination come up with that. But that's what God did in it. You'd never think that one person could have two natures and not be schizophrenic. That they'd be both flesh and spirit. Old man and new man. You'd never think that. It defies human logic. But that's what God did. You'd never think that a sinner could be saved and that the, uh, their souls would be fed and strengthened and encouraged by hearing another man who's totally sinful preach Christ. You think God's got to send somebody on a higher spiritual plane than me so I can learn. No, God sends somebody on the same plane as you to preach to. That's what he does. You'd never think that. But that's what God does. See, that's a supernatural work of God. It's just, it can't be understood by the flesh. And it can't be loved by the flesh either. You know, when a message becomes so understandable to the flesh, I mean, now, Matt, you understand what I'm saying? The gospel's so simple. The youngest child here can understand it. You understand. We fell in Adam. Christ came to get us out of the mess we're in. My nephew Gavin said that a long time ago. He first started in Sabrina's Sunday school class. He told me, this is the bad news. Adam sinned. This is the good news. Christ. He's three years old. He said, this is the good news. Christ. 
period. The youngest child understands that, don't you? I mean, the gospel's understandable. Yet it can't be understood with flesh. <laughs> I can't explain that. If you know Christ, you understand what I'm saying. If the gospel can be understood and believed without the supernatural gift of faith, it's not the gospel. The gospel is only believed and loved and Christ is only fed upon supernaturally. The supernatural gift of God. Salvation is of the Lord. It's the only way something supernatural can happen, isn't it? All right, here's the last thing. The message of God's preacher is salvation's in the blood. Verse 21. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings were come up to fight against them, they gathered all that were able to put on armor and upward and stood in the border. And they rose up early in the morning and the sun shone upon the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings are surely slain and they've smitten one another. Now therefore Moab to the spoil. And when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and smote the Moabites so that they fled before them. But they went forward smiting the Moabites, even in their country. And they beat down the cities and on every good piece of land cast every man his stone. And they filled it. They filled it with stone so that, that land would be so hard to plow and plant. And they stopped up all the wells of water and felled all the good trees. Only in Kirhath-sheth left they the stones thereof. Howbeit the slingers went about it and smote it. Now I figure the Moabites, they saw this, they thought that water was red blood. and They probably came to the camp of Israel kind of at least mentally, unprepared for battle. You know, they thought everybody was already dead. They thought all they're going to have to do is, you know, go pick up the spoil. They thought they saw blood. They thought they did. And they came, and boy, they met with resistance, didn't they? The Israelites slaughtered them. And it's all because of the blood that the Moabites thought that they saw. Well, here's the picture. Spiritual Israel is given the victory in the blood of Christ. Now, it's not something we thought we saw. It's not something imaginary. This is the blood. The blood of God offered before the Father. Offered on the altar before the, the Father as an atonement for the sin of God's elect. The blood of Christ has defeated every enemy God's people have. They're already defeated. The blood of Christ put away sin that's against us. The blood of Christ is what bruised Satan's heel. If Satan's the accuser of the brethren, he's in the accusing business. Well, he, he can accuse all he wants, can he? But you know what Paul said? Who is he that condemneth? Who is he that can make any of those charges stick? And Paul's answer is, it's Christ that died. Nobody can condemn God's elect. It's Christ that died. It's his blood. Nobody can condemn you if Christ died for you. He put your sin away. The blood of Christ bought, brought peace with God. It brought it and he bought it. Peace with God. Because the blood of Christ took away the sin that made God angry. And when the blood of Christ is applied to your hearts, you quit being angry too. We're angry with God. We, we don't like his gospel. We don't like his way of salvation. We're not going to have this man reign over us. You're going to change your tune when the blood of Christ is applied to your heart. You have peace with God. The victory is all in Christ. It's all because of Christ. The victory has been bought and it's been earned by the blood of Christ. The good news 
is Christ. Now inquire of him. Inquire of him. It is my fervent prayer that you don't hear this message and go home go home unaffected. Inquire of him. Inquire of him. Lord, show this to me. Lord, do this for me. Put this in my heart. Reveal Christ to me. Look to him and trust him. Life's in him. That's the message God's preacher. That's, that's the message of the gospel. And what good news God sent us. Isn't it good news you don't have to do it yourself? The blood's already accomplished. That's good news. All right. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, how we thank you for the victory in, in our Lord Jesus Christ that he earned by his obedience and his precious blood. And Father, I beg of you that you would cause each heart here this morning to hunger and thirst after Christ. Father, show us the mess we're in. Cause us to inquire of the Lord. Cause us to need Him. And Father, then in Your mercy and in Your grace, give us a fulfillment of Your precious promise that when You make us seek Christ with all of our heart, we'll find Him. Or rather, we'll be found of Him. Father, bless us for Christ's sake. Bless this word to the glory of of your son. It's in his name and for his sake we pray. Amen. All right. Chris, come lead us in a closing hymn, if you would.